Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Action-packed week at the movies this week, including one that's getting a lot of buzz, one that we've been looking forward to for quite some time that, uh, spoiler alert, did not disappoint. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com. And the Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of Marcus Crosswoods Theater. With a 70-foot-wide ultra screen featuring Dolby Atmos surround sound and Dream Lounger recliners. We just sat in some of those the other night when we saw Ocean's 8. Yes, yeah. very comfy. <laughs> and we'll be getting to that one, uh, that movie, in just a couple of minutes. But we'll start off with the one I was talking about, the one with all the buzz. Perhaps you've heard of it. It's the story of a matriarch of the Graham family passing away, and then her daughter's family begins to unravel cryptic and increasingly terrifying secrets about their ancestry. It's hereditary. My mother was a very secretive and private woman. She isn't gone. She had private rituals, private friends. Mom? I don't like this. Dad, I don't like this. What's happening? Tina! Don't you ever raise your voice to me! I am your mother! Raise your Mom, what's happening? Make it stop! Make it stop! I don't know when this one first got on our radar, but it's been a while now. And, yeah. And um, I think it's been building buzz for pretty much everybody now. And now that it's out, boy, the buzz is even obviously louder. louder than ever. Because I really haven't read or heard too many detractors. There may be more here mm-hmm. in the coming, but mm-hmm. but we both loved it. Yes. And, you know, it's it's one of those movies that I think it it's a horror movie. And it's from A24 Studios. Yes. Who, you know, <laughs> do good work. Yes. But it's one of those, I think it kind of straddles the line between the, you know, the crowd that, that doesn't care for a certain amount of, uh, like, art house horror, yep. if you want to call yep. it that, yep. because not much happens. I think it kind of does a good middle ground here by being sort of an art house adult type horror movie, but yet delivering enough payoff. Mm-hmm. Enough scares, mm-hmm. enough genuine things that happen to satisfy the other crowd too, um, and, I, and I think it does almost everything, almost everything right in telling the story. Yeah, well, the, I think the movie that is getting the most comparison to is The Exorcist, uh, not because the storylines are similar at all, but because The Exorcist did that same thing—that it was very adult, it was very well put together, but it, it it was a horror film, and it was not pretending not to be, and it was not skimping on the scares. Yeah, and the other thing about The Exorcist that we always remember when, when we talk about it is if you watch it now, you remember what a slow build it mm-hmm. was. It really was a was. slow build. And this one, I have heard a few people that even though they've liked it, said, boy, it it does get kind of slow, which I didn't feel that no, it did. No, I did not think so either. I, but it's still, it, you do have to pay attention. Yes. And, and follow what's going on, because there is a lot going on, and we certainly don't want to get anywhere in the neighborhood no. of any type of spoiler. No, but, you know, one of the things I think makes it work so well for me is that you can follow along on a very literal level and be scared and be tense and be amazed. But it also, the whole thing works really well metaphorically. And however you look at it, it is an amazing, disturbing look at family dysfunction. Yeah, that's, 
Go ahead. A slew of great performances. All oh. four of the family members and also Ann Dowd, who has a, a, another role Supporting outside the role, family. Huh? Great. Amazing. Yeah, Tony Collette, who's always been good. But but this time, she just, I really hope, I know the year's only, you know, not quite half over. And sometimes horror movies get the short shrift come awards time. But I hope she gets remembered I do come too. awards. She is just fantastic. Yes, yeah, she really is. She uh, absolutely is. In a, in a movie filled with great performance. She's the mom in this house, this family. And she makes, she's an artist. She makes miniatures. miniatures. You know, not quite, I wouldn't call them dollhouses, but they're miniatures. Mm-hmm. And that that's important. Yes. Pay attention to that and pay attention to where the camera goes in relation to these miniatures. And and like you said, one of the things that I love about this movie is how it does work on other levels. If you, if you just want to take it, literally, mm-hmm. and follow the story. I was having a conversation on Facebook today with some guy who just really broke it down, very detailed and very thorough and very good. But as I answered back to him, I'm like, you know, what worked for me is how it worked on other levels, yeah. metaphorically and you know, well, I don't want to say too much, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> but it does, and it, and 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 for me, it it checks out. It you know, it adds up on all those levels as well. And it's interesting. I read a few things about this movie, and Ari Aster, the writer director, said it's his it's his debut feature, and he said he he got into horror for this one because he just figured it would be easier to get made. And then once he got in there, he wanted to do something. I think his quote was substantial. Mm-hmm. You know, how do I make it more substantial mm-hmm. as a horror film? And he wanted not just to be horror as a device, but horror like flowing through people mm-hmm. and what they were suffering through. And boy, that's that's a great way to put it. Yeah. And he really accomplished that because it's so character driven. It really is, and it's so so. It's it's very informed by grief and guilt and resentment and it is so colored by the sort of crisscrossing animosities and and issues inside this family of four and and each one of the characters actors is so good so good and i think that it's easy to overlook gabriel byrne who plays the dad because the dad doesn't say a lot and he's very very supportive and he's also really exhausted but he's also really the vehicle for the for the audience to see what maybe is really happening here and i thought he was magnificent both kids amazing and you also find out there's a reason that that the director the filmmaker wants him to be disconnected from things absolutely as you find out at the end that's very true, and I think it also, what, what's maybe the smartest thing about this movie, and it's very smart, is that it tempts you to dismiss it too quickly. It does. Once it gets to the end and you think, oh, that's just like this, or I've seen that before, well, now just wait a minute. Yeah. It's almost tempting you and, and waiting for the real people that really get it to appreciate what what is going on here and how it can be looked at in other ways toward the end. Because with a title like Hereditary, the biggest metaphor is you're going to take from it is what do we pass down yes through our family mm-hmm, members mm-hmm. the good and the bad you know what can be inherited so there's there's a lot of levels to it and it's creepy oh my and god it's, it's scary it is scary and there are some set pieces that you will remember oh my god yes and and there's one jarring bit of scare that you will not see coming and that all of us in the theater would just gasp yeah. pretty much yes that you you don't see it in a million years, and it's very important to the story, and just it's got a little bit of everything. It does to it, and and, and it, I, it just can't get over for a, a feature film debut. 
how confident the direction is, how how gorgeous the cinematography and how how easily the atmosphere is created and the, the set is used as a character unto itself. And, and you've got this giant house and all these tiny miniature houses inside these other rooms. It is yeah. just a, a feast for the eyes. And I've got to say, in that way and some other ways, it reminds me of The Witch. Because yes. filmmaker yeah, Robert yeah, yeah. Eggers did the same yeah, thing. Yeah. Such attention to detail and atmospherics and and creepiness. Also an A24 film. Uh, exactly. Also an A24. And I know a lot of people, that was one of the movies I was thinking of when I said there's a certain segment of the horror audience that this feels not enough happens. Mm-hmm. Well, more happens in this one yes. uh, than, than did in The Witch, although we love The Witch so much. But it is similar in those ways. Such a concentration and a commitment to characters and atmospherics and set design and everything. And yeah, really want to see uh, where this guy goes from here. But let's just appreciate this debut while mm-hmm, we have it. Mm-hmm. And just big recommendation from both of us for Hereditary. From summer scares to summer fun for the next one, some star-powered summer fun. The latest in the Oceans franchise. This time it's Debbie Ocean gathering an all-female crew to attempt an impossible heist at New York City's yearly Met Gala. Ocean's 8. In three and a half weeks, the Met will be hosting its annual ball, and we are going to rob it. Oh, oh. look at you. $16.5 million in each of your bank accounts five weeks from now. That's a lot. They've got every inch of this place covered. We will not be the prime suspects. One thing this did, this movie did teach me that it's a, it is gala, not gala. <laughs> <laughs> a character is corrected on that. That's funny. <laughs> so in case you were wondering, it's gala, and that's that's the heist here. Debbie Ocean, played by Sandra Bullock, wants to steal a one hundred fifty million million, as I put my pinky up to my mouth like Doctor Evil, <laughs> million dollar necklace from around the neck of starlet Daphne Kruger, played by Anne Hathaway, who pretty much steals the yes, movie. Yes. I mean, this is a good cast. That's the real heist in this. It is. Uh, she, she does. She steals every scene. Yeah, because she's playing a send-up of the Hollywood diva, and that includes herself. Right, Because yeah. she's had plenty of, of people, you know, throw slings and arrows at her, yeah. and she has a great time with it and pretty much steals the movie. But it is a fun cast. I mean, you look at these types of movies, you've had three... And a half. I'd say four. Right. Because, because Steven Soderbergh, who wrote and directed the first three Oceans films, he also wrote and directed, well, he directed, and there is rumor that he wrote Logan Lucky, which is, as it refers to itself, uh, Ocean 7-Eleven. Yeah, It's exactly. a hillbilly heist. It is. If you didn't see it, it's really no worth one did, seeing. But and you no one see it now. did. I, I really liked it. But it's the exact same formula done with a bunch of hillbillies. And uh, it's definitely worth seeing. So I would I would include that almost uh, in, yes. the, in the franchise. It's a part of this franchise. Yeah, and this one follows the same formula. And so it's natural to compare them because, I mean, it's in the name. It's part of the franchise. I and think, and they, they embrace that. They do. You know, uh, our uh, co-writer, director Gary Ross, does a nice job of really, really embracing that by having characters physically and and in in mannerisms resemble characters that you know, by using the same kind of stylish bumper music, you know, and just kind of going out of their way to draw attention to the fact that we're following a formula, we're doing it on purpose. The same type of strategy meetings where all the team gets together and looks at, you know, it's the same type of thing, same type of vibe, and it is fun. 
And and heist movies are fun. And one of the things I, I appreciated it about it was that it's not an all-female team for just no reason. It's not simply a gimmick. You know, when, when they're trying to put together a team and uh, Kate Blanchett's character is, has photos of certain men yeah. who... She's like the second, she second is. in She's command. She's the Brad yeah. Pitt, actually. She's the Rusty. <laughs> She's the Rusty. And Cinder Bullock's character says, and know him. Know him. Hymns attract attention. Hers do not. Yeah, that is a good line. It is a good line. It's a good line and with different layers. And uh, and that's some of the best writing in the movie because that's really... That's the problem. Yeah, as fun as it is, it just doesn't have the the zip. It just doesn't have the characters, especially the with the team that's, that's rounded out, yeah. you know. They don't have the depth to them. No. You know, you mentioned um, before we started recording, you mentioned that, you know, take the, the two brother characters yes. in, in the Oceans movies. They just have that thing where they're always fighting. Right. And that's funny. It is and funny. They just have little edges to Or just to the each way character. that most of the characters kind of talk over each other and finish each other's sentences. Yeah. There's a very natural and, and, and believable and fun rapport that goes on. And I'm not saying this to slight these, these actors in this film in Oceans 8. My guess is Gary Ross is simply not Steven Soderbergh, not as a writer and not as a director. Right. And and so the product that we've gotten is simply not as crisp. Yeah, and especially for this type of movie. I mean, he has been good. He directed one of the more impressive the uh, first, installments the Games. in The Hunger Games. Mm -hmm. So it's not like we're saying he's a bad director. No, no, no. no. We're just saying these, he's not Steven Soderbergh. These, Very few people are. And especially for this type of, of movie, to set that vibe, to set that cool it's it's just not quite as crisp. Although if, you know, for some nice, pretty forgettable summertime fun, it's it's, it's fun. totally yeah. fits it the is. bill. Because yep, absolutely. Like, like we said, heist movies are fun. Seeing all these these stars, giant stars, yeah, yeah. Is, is a lot of fun. So it's you know you want to, and everybody likes a good summertime at the movies. Yeah, so it totally totally delivers that, and that's Ocean's Eight. There's more star power in the next big release this week. It's set in riot torn near future Los Angeles. It follows the nurse who runs a secret members-only emergency room for criminals, Hotel Artemis. Showtime. The Artemis is a secret hospital for criminals. Easy, fellas. Everybody's going to get fixed up. Now verify your memberships, and we're off to the races. This thing is covered in blood. It's always covered in blood. The Eastern world. This is America. It is exploding. 85% of what I fix is bullet holes. This hospital was built on trust and rules. People don't always do what they're told. On the one hand, I want to give this movie credit for being original because, you know, you don't get that many of those in the summer. Although this weekend alone, we have two films that are not superheroes, are not comic books and are not sequels. So that's exciting. Nice. But um, at the same time, I, I, I wonder how many of us saw this trailer and thought, is this just a whole movie about that cool hotel in John Wick? <laughs> I, I truly did. I truly did because that's, you know, I I've still don't appreciate what was so great about the first John Wick. But I did like that hotel. So this is, and it, it is, it's a similar concept. It's certainly by no means the same thing. But uh, what, what you have is a members-only, very dodgy, very retro-looking, um, and it's, it's, it's called the Hotel Artemis, but it's, a, it's more of a upscale, kind of dingy, kind of retrofitted hospital. And Jodie Foster plays the nurse. There's only two people who work there, the nurse, nurse, and orderly, and uh, you have to have a membership to get in. You can't have a gun. You can't kill the other patients. You uh, you can't be rude. You know all these rules. And it is a clever concept. And and the look is great. It's very grim looking. It's very almost steampunk looking. What the what the hotel <laughs> looks like. 
And it's a great idea because what it does, as you said, it's set in the middle of these incredibly bloody riots. And so uh, during riots, during these bloody riots, when the police are obviously otherwise occupied, Mm -hmm. what a great time to rob a bank, right? (laughs) Like, what a great time to be a criminal. And then, of course, you know, mishaps happen. You wind up wounded. You have to go someplace other than the hospital where the police will be looking for you. You go to the Hotel Artemis. It is a great idea. And it's fairly well executed. The, 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 The cast is incredible. So... Uh, Jodie Foster, who hasn't made a feature in five years, not Mm. since Elysium, and she's magnificent in this role. Like she, you know, she's playing somebody obviously much older than she actually is. And she it's just somebody who is committed to helping other people, happens to find herself in a situation where she's helping the worst people in the world and just bears that. Yeah. You know, she just talks to you on your level. She doesn't judge you. She doesn't not. She does a great job of being a mixture of sort of anxiety and sadness and just acceptance. And then Bautista is a great counterpart to that, because first of all, he's a giant. She's very, very small. Yeah, Dave Bautista, who most people will know from Guardians of the Galaxy, Absolutely. Drax. Yeah, and he plays the orderly who will help you get better or will bust your head open, depending on what's <laughs> necessary. You know, and then the, you know, the ne'er-do-wells who wind up there, chief among them is, is Sterling K. Brown, Brown. Sterling K. Brown, yeah. Who is maybe the most intense actor working today. Like, you just look in his eyes and think, I can't look away. He's got so much emotion roiling right there. He's, oh, and he's magnificent as well. Uh, Charlie Day is very good in it. Uh, Sophia Botella, who hasn't had a great role yet. I think this is probably the best role for her. She plays a French assassin. She actually gets to deliver some lines. She actually gets to have some character development. So she's all she's all very uh, fun as well. And then what all it really comes to a head when the kingpin, the 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 gangster kingpin of L.A. shows up with a huge entourage and he needs to be fixed. And of course, he's played by Jeff Goldblum, who is basically playing. Jeff Goldblum. The Wolf King. The Wolf King. And, 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 you know, it's always a joy to see Jeff Goldblum in any movie. And he knows it. Yes, he does. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it, it, there's a lot going well with this movie. Uh, and at the same time, it has a couple of major flaws. One is that it has a couple of side plots that don't really go anywhere and make the movie feel a little more cluttered than it needs to. There's a backstory that also feels a little bit sort of heavy handed and doesn't seem to work for me as well as the rest of the film. And then, for the tremendous amount of tension that just, you know, builds and builds and builds and builds, there's really not a great payoff. Yeah. So as much as I, I admire a lot of what is going on in this movie, I love that it's a, almost like just an antidote to the kind of films that we usually see in the summer. I love the originality of it and the concept of it. I just can't get 100% behind it. Yeah, there's a lot of an overabundance of style and ambiance and not, in the end, the story to back it up. Uh, but it can still be sort of on the order of Ocean's 8. It can still be an enjoyable summertime yeah. kind of It's almost movie. the opposite of Ocean's 8, but at the same time, no, I see what you're saying, yeah. where yeah. where it's, it's worth checking out. It really is. Next up is the latest from legendary filmmaker Paul Schrader, a priest of a small congregation in upstate New York, grapples with mounting despair brought on by tragedy, worldly concerns, and a tormented past in First Reformed. These are frightening times. We have to be patient. Well, somebody has to do something. My hands shake as I write these lines. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Can God forgive us for what we've done to this world? Who can know the mind of God? This is not one that we had the opportunity to cover because we had Jack White tickets. Yes, we went to see Jack White. So Rachel Willis covered it for us. We're going to see it this weekend. We are dying to see it. Huge, huge Paul Schrader fans, particularly if you're not familiar with him. I mean, he's his career is a little bit hit and miss, but 
all you need to know is that he wrote Taxi Driver. Yeah, this is one that Rachel, yeah, Rachel, one of the writers for us at our website, madwolf.com, she loved it. Most everybody else I've seen has loved it. A lot of comparisons to, at least in some story elements, to Taxi Driver. Yeah, absolutely. And another great later in career performance from Ethan Hawke. Yeah, we were talking about that on the way here, is that neither of us were Ethan Hawke fans early in his career. But boy, in the last, well, I'm going to say probably 10 years, he has just really impressed film after film after film. In both big movies and small Mm -hmm. movies. You know, that that Maudie that I always talk about from a couple of years ago, where uh, Sally Hawkins uh, was was so good, and and he played... Her husband, and he was great. And of course, Boyhood. Boyhood, he was yeah. wonderful so in Boyhood. He's really stepping it up here, and uh, this is a continuation of that. So definitely a recommendation for First Reformed. And if you want to check out our Rachel's review, you can do that on our website at MadWolf.com. Got also a few smaller movies uh, getting some limited release this week, and the first one is the love affair between poet Percy Shelley and 18-year-old Mary Godwin, which resulted in Mary Shelley writing Frankenstein. It's Mary Shelley. I no longer see the world and its works as they before appeared to me, and men appear to me as monsters. We are each to write a ghost story. It's a competition. The woman is not intelligent enough to form ideas of her own. What's wrong with you? You, Miss Godwin, have the chance to prove me wrong. Don't you recognize Victor Frankenstein? My choice has made me who I am, and I regret nothing. This one was disappointing. It should have been a better film. It should have been, because... Because I know you have a lot of respect for not only the novel, but the writer of the novel. Yes. Well, she was a fascinating human being. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, she she ran off with Percy Shelley, a married man, when she was 16. Mm-hmm. And part of it was because uh, her mother was uh, a very famous writer and feminist who killed herself after having an affair with a man. And her father was also a philosopher and kind of an anarchic writer. And and so she just has this amazing pedigree. Again, at 16, she leaves home with this married man. And at 18 years old, she writes Frankenstein, which not only is an, an absolutely brilliant That's novel, amazing. but was just, it's just a, a game changer in every way. That's one of those things you hear and you think, what was I doing when exactly. I was 18 years old? You know what I wasn't doing? Writing Frankenstein. No. Or anything nearly, <laughs> nearly half as good. Yeah, that's it is. It's a it's a type of a a life the, that you want to learn more about just yes. for that re- if exactly. that was if that was it, you would want to know more. What was the inspiration here? How'd that come about? Yeah. Uh and and I think that the film tries to deliver that. Tries to give you a sense of all of kind of the broiling emotions that came together and caused her to come up with that particular story. The problem there and and Elle Fanning plays Mary Shelley and mm-hmm. you you can't really go wrong with her. I mean, she's, she's usually just great. She is. The, the the film itself is so slow, it's so leaden, it lacks life, and as much as I hate to say it, Elf Fanning's performance is just as anemic as the film is itself. So, uh, I, I mean, I wanted flashes of really anything, and it, and it just gets mired in this sort of morose, depressed browns. It's just not very good, I'm afraid. And it's directed and co-written by Hafa Al-Mansur, who is the really the first female filmmaker out of Saudi Arabia yes. and very well lauded. But uh, this one just kind of a, kind of a step back, I guess, yes. even though the subject matter is there, just can't get it to translate as well on screen. Exactly. One more in limited release to talk about this week. This one is based on Ian McElwain's novel in 1962, England, a young couple find their idyllic romance 
coddling with issues of sexual freedom and societal pressure leading to an awkward and fateful wedding night on Chesil Beach. You don't seem quite as happy as you should. Something's bothering you, Flo. Something about yourself, a little delicate. The sex manual says women are like doorways. Men can enter through them. Flo, you can change your mind. I really have to go. We can never be happy. And it's all my stupid fault. Have you actually forgotten that we were married today? We're man and wife. That's what you promised. To me. Hopeless. Is it? This is one we actually had the chance to see at the Cleveland International Film Festival. Yeah, and I had really not any knowledge about it whatsoever. I didn't know about the book. Well, I knew that Saoirse Ronan was in it, that and she really... is fantastic almost all the time. Yes, well, that was really the selling point. You know, we'll see anything that she's in, and we were excited to see it. But it tr- the, the fact is that the writer, who is adapted his own novel for this is the same writer who penned Atonement, which mm-hmm. is the film that Saoirse Ronan got her first Oscar nomination for when she was 13. Well, this was one that, watching it, I thought to myself, I bet this was a better book yes, than agreed. a movie. I agreed. could see the way the story is structured, that it being kind of getting more out of it by, by turning the page, because once it got to where it was going, I just thought it was a lot of melodrama and the the reason for all that melodrama didn't quite measure up and didn't seem like a sturdy enough foundation to build this entire story around although i did appreciate the performances well her performance especially yeah hers in particular billy howell plays shersha's co-star the the groom in the film they're also starring together in the seagull yeah yeah. Uh, which will be out soon as well. But anyway, yeah, they're the they're the young married couple that runs into some problems. And and I think part of the, you know, it sets you up at the beginning with, you know, how different the two are. She's been raised with a lot of money. She is part of a classical music quartet. You know, she's very sort of diligent and focused. And he's, you know, from not a lot of money. His mother has some personality disorder issues. And he can be very rash. But they more tell you that than show you that. And that's right. the problem is that as much as I think that the Billy Hell does a nice job of making you relate to his character and like his character, he doesn't seem rash. He doesn't seem dangerous. He doesn't he just doesn't. He seems like a good dude. And and I think that part part of buying the kind of climactic scene on the beach requires that you do see him as somebody who just makes rash decisions and then sticks with them no matter what. Yeah. And and not being able to believe that really a lot of the film falls apart for me. It was lovely to look at and a lot of the a lot of the supporting performances I thought were very good, particularly the two characters who play the two actors who played his parents. I thought they were very good. I just didn't buy the romance in particular and I didn't buy Yes, the climax to the romance, and then and then I felt like the last third, I didn't care anymore. <laughs> yeah, because we were following the wrong character at that point. Yeah, you, it doesn't let you get invested enough in these in these tortured lovers, these lovers kept apart, to to really, like you said, care that much no. or to feel that is that a reason? I'm not buying into enough of it no. to care enough. But uh, I'm with you. The, some of the performances were good and it looked great. On Chesil Beach is the other limited release, and that means it's time to go to the lobby. <laughs> Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Do you know what snack I'd like to have in the lobby, George? 
Milk duds? Yes. You know what else? People believe that that is an accurate decision. We had a we had a Twitter argument about this a long time ago, and then it just reemerged in the last week or so. That are they worth the effort? They are worth the effort. I don't. Michael Liam ag- e. Black says they are, and well, I agree. I don't agree. It's too much effort. Let's move on. Let's you know, <laughs> let's just move on to another better tasting candy, like maybe a Reese cup. Especially no. if you happen to be in one of those theaters that keep them cold. That's not a good. It's not a good. Movie candy, because first of all, it's not really shareable. It's a, it's a great, it's candy is candy. It's great movie candy. No, milk duds. No. Anyway, the first one in the lobby is a wrinkle in time. This one was kind of a, it was much ado of about being a dud. It was pretty much just landed with a thud, didn't it? You know, I don't think it did as badly as as people. I mean, people. There was a lot of noise about it when it came out, and I think that a lot of people were disappointed. I also think a lot of people were just blowhards about it. And the truth is that it was certainly not as impressive as Ava DuVernay's previous film, Selma. And it was quite a departure. Or or 13th. Forgive me, or 13th. Quite a departure, obviously. But I think that she created a a, a film that was very... accessible to the market that it was going after, which is adolescence. And uh, I think that she was about as true to the source material as she could have been given the the time in which it was made. Uh, she updated what she needed to. And, and one of the things that she did uh, really well was to give us a lead character uh, of color. And there was there was no reason not to. And, mm-hmm. uh, and the, the, the actor was wonderful in the role. So I... I liked it better than a lot of people you did. did. You did. I definitely noticed that you, your review, you liked it better than a lot of people. So that one's out this week on Home Video, or Wrinkle in Time. And one that we loved is out called Thoroughbreds. This one gets compared to Heathers a lot. And yeah. I can see that to a certain degree. It is uh, much darker and drier than Heathers. And it is incredibly well written. Incredibly well acted. And very sad, mm. actually. But uh, well, so smart. And it's Anya Taylor-Joy. From the witch mm-hmm. and Olivia Cook, yeah, they're magnificent. And <laughs> Anton Yelkin in his final yes. in his final role yes. on screen, That's which right. is again, I think, another reason why the film it's is just sad. a little yeah. sad. Yeah, but r- very well done. Um, if you want some stupid fun, you can find it this week out on home video. Hurricane Heist. That's one you liked better than most people. Guess what happens in this movie? <laughs> There's a heist. And we just talked about how fun they can be. And there's a hurricane. And it is. It's just It's just stupid fun. It's uh, our hometown girl here in Columbus, Maggie Grace, who, by the way, wears an Ohio State cap for a part of the movie, so yay. Uh, and also Toby Kebble, or Kebble. And they're together, and they're trying to foil this heist led by uh, Ralph Ennis from uh, The Witch. From The Witch, yes. And in case you're not sure that hurricanes are really difficult and and dangerous, occasionally the the clouds turn into big skulls. (laughs) That's right. That's exactly right. And it's director Rob Cohen. He does Fast and the Furious, Triple X. And, you know, credit this movie for knowing what it is and not trying to overreach and just be dumb fun. And that's why I liked it more than a lot of people. But that's that's what it is. It's dumb fun, or as I called it, sky hard um, <laughs> hurricane heist. And boy, a lot of wasted talent is in the next one out on home video, Gringo. You got a lot of people in this. You know, uh, Charlie Theron. Theron, Joel Edgerton, David, David Oyelowo. Yeah, Amanda Seyfried. Uh, a lot of people for just... A lot of nothing. A yeah. lot of just crazy, convoluted, uh, it, this business trip south of the border, and there's a mistaken identity, and there's ransom, and it, you talk about not not caring. Yeah. You never care about any of this, mm-hmm. and it went away quietly, 
and I'm not surprised. It's it's Joel Edgerton's brother, Nash, who's directing this. Maybe that's how they got all these people involved. Yeah. I can't imagine having having them all read the script and go, yeah, I went on with that. Mm. Uh, so, boy, yeah, really disappointed in that one. And uh, one more, the latest Death Wish is out this week. It's Eli Roth and Bruce Willis. Uh, you were pretty disappointed in this one because you love Bruce Willis and Bru- because you saw the trailer and thought, okay. Yeah, I thought there might be some potential here for a little social commentary and I, th- I think it's another one of those movies where sometimes Eli Roth thinks he is making some social commentary he's not no no he's not he, he tries to have it both ways with the you know good guy with the gun fantasy and then like offset it by having some radio radio like and, talk and TV show. you know talk show go on like giving the other side of the argument but it's no it, it, it is no t- it just it's just a it's just a mad crush on shooting people yeah on taking revenge on and then, and then he throws in as if it needed some comic relief these these couple of corny detectives trying to figure out who this vigilante is dubbed the Grim Reaper who right. is uh, Bruce Willis taking over the role that Charles Bronson uh, made famous all those years ago and uh, they're just, they're so sitcom stupid corny. You're like, what is this doing here? Well, uh, in Eli Roth's entire career, he has a very difficult time layering in humor. It, yeah. it has never really worked. Yeah, it doesn't work here at all. And it's just, it's a big, big all over the place disappointment. The latest Death Wish. So let us know what you thought about uh, any of the movies this week, especially Hereditary. You're going to go, you're going to get scared. We would love to uh, hear your thoughts on that. Easiest way to talk about any of these movies with us is on social media. And you can find us on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf. That's M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, we are Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website, as I said, where you can find all our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. You can find that at madwolf.com. So looking forward to hearing from you. Some good stuff to check out this week. And next up... Next week, anyway, we look forward to the return of The Incredibles. That's right, Incredibles 2. Man, it's I, been a long time. It has been. But you always love that moment in the summer where the Pixar movie comes out. That's, That's right. always great. A couple of others that might not be bad. Tag. Tag looks uh, looks not too it bad. Does. And Superfly. I'm a little worried about Superfly, but still. Superfly. All right, we'll find out. But The Incredibles 2. Give me my super suit, woman. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be next week. Until then, get in touch if you can. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And the Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. This is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.